Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, Dad, the piping hot topic that we're going to start with this week, <laughs> piping hot by our standards, of course, this refers to a film that was made in 1969 and recently uh, rebooted, is that Peter Jackson uh, has six more hours of footage of, um, of Get Back that he'd like to, he'd like to uh, make available. And my question to you is, which I'm going to answer for you, is would we see it if it existed? Yes, we would. Would we learn any more about the Beatles than we learnt from watching the last eight hours. I don't know. I mean, it'll just have to have a different story, won't it? Different, different, a different narrative. I will watch it once. You will watch it ten times. I will. You will. Uh, I watched the last one three simply, times. You simply can't get it up. <laughs> no. um, I think it can only be. Uh, it can only work if you edit it to have a point of view. Like these things always have a point of view. Um, and uh, the point of view in this case will be, actually, uh, we were wrong about John Lennon being the leader of the Beatles. We were wrong about Paul McCartney being the leader of the Beatles. The true leader of the Beatles was George Harrison. That's that's what it'll do. It'll have to have a new thrust. Because that was it. that was the gist of the of the of the last one, wasn't it? That the McCartney is, is the uh, yes. is the beating creative heart and driving force of this group, the diplomat, the leader, yep. etc. Yeah. But you can take the same footage as we've discovered with reality TV. You can take exactly the same footage, and you can, uh, you know, turn it into. You can turn characters into heroes or into villains. You know, you can take the same material and give it a completely different spin. It's interesting, isn't it? I tell you, because we were talking about what's it called, Trainwreck, the um, Woodstock, Woodstock '99 film. film, and you know, for years, films, successful films about um, rock festivals were all celebrations of what an enormous success it had been. I mean, the classic case being the original Woodstock, which for many people who were there was kind of 
was a nightmare. But you know, absolutely right. Yeah, but the absolutely. film had was a celebration. This is fantastic. Everybody wants to go to a thing like this, and and so that's how festival films work. But you for could years. argue that the Woodstock then, then you, '99, yeah, Woodstock '99. In fact, the vast majority of people, uh, an old mate of my eldest son's was there, and she said it was fantastic. <laughs> it was really good fun. She said she left just before um, the old place called Fire on the Towers came down. But by the same token, you could be. You know, you, you could have had a really fantastic time, just that they chose not to pursue that, didn't they? That was the story. It yeah, it, well, it makes a better film to say that it was a catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. You know, because for, if you're sitting at home in your living room watching something on telly, you like to feel that it was a disaster, don't you, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah you were so glad you were there. Uh, Other people's suffering, so enjoyable. We had a case of this last weekend, because only, only on the last podcast we were talking about the plan announced to make future Reading and Leeds festivals green, didn't we? Yeah. There, there, were, there was a big initiative, so in the future the electricity would come off the national grid, there would be yeah. less disruption of the environment or whatever. And so, you know, we were talking about this last weekend, whenever we did, last Friday I think it was. Uh, and then subsequently, <laughs> the weekend was like it was like a nightmare scene out of the in betweeners. Wasn't it? it was brilliant, but also it's classic journalism because now Woodstock '99 is now a benchmark for for appallingness, isn't it? And so, so the whole thing is so easy for headline writers to basically say, "Reading was Reading the new Woodstock '99." Yeah, you know, the tents were on fire, the arson, there was vandalism, there was uh, there was theft, you know. So we were talking to our mate Keith Ansley when we did the quiz last night, and Keith is is involved in uh, a lot of charity work, and he was uh, he said that he went with a team uh, to the site of Reading. I think it was Reading, wasn't it? That after the weekend, yeah, yeah, after the weekend this week. And how many tents did he say they managed? I to thought salvage? it was four hundred, but I think um, it was four hundred. I think it was four hundred tents. I mean, not tents that have been torched or wrecked, or just been left there. Just because, been left. You, know, you could buy a tent for kind of twenty-eight quid or something. You could buy a, you kind of, a tent. You shake sport. them out the bag and they spring into shape, and then you Sports kind of fall direct. Into them. Apparently, That's right. the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the main retailer of these. And so you are taking twenty. Was it four hundred tents? They're going to take out to to, to Calais to Calais. refugees. You know, it's just absolutely extraordinary. You know, the scale. Of this. I loved all the bleating on social media about that, saying, you know, is it safe to go to Reading? You know, what's happened? You know, <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, when, when I used to go to festivals, I mean, I went to a festival in 1971, 72, I think it was. It was policed by Hells Angels. Yeah. You know, and, the, and the Hells Angels had a massive bust up with local security, uh, in which a lot of their uh, Harley Davidsons were set on fire. A cornfield was set on fire. I can remember that Lincoln Festival, an entire field. Blazing. I can remember John Peel on stage saying, you know, please uh, refrain from starting fires because, you know, in cornfields, because if you're arrested, we can't afford the bail, which we all thought was terribly funny. But I mean, that was just standard fare. That was just yeah. what it was like. Yeah. So uh, I'm saying, you know, toughen up and, yeah. uh, you know, get over it. So Part Mike, of fun. We thought it was hilarious. So contrasting with these, uh, these festivals is the, um, is the interesting rise of the. Uh, the, the uh, high-ticket prestige residency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I've been reading about in, in the last week, the, the likes of Harry Styles and, well, Adele, obviously, the you know, the great Las Vegas residency, which I think it's still to start, isn't it? <laughs> 37 it is, shows. That's right. I know all like. the people, Las Vegas, I, I had a look at this, ZZ Top playing, Billy Idol, John Legend, Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, Rod Stewart, Usher, Pitbull... 
You too. You know, it's not. It's not the kind. Of, it's, it's not, not easy. It's not Maria Carey. You know, it's, it's not. not Vic, it's not Vic Damone. You know, no, no, it's, it's not, not no, Tony no. Bennett. No, it's absolutely. It's Kid Rock. It's, it's whatever. You know. Kid Rock, exactly. Because it's you know those are the people who've got the money to you know to to go to uh, to go to Vegas. You know, and have yeah. a weekend in Vegas and. And a high-ticket kind of uh, a show uh, yeah. uh, with a big name of your youth in a in a very pleasant venue is a very appealing part of the package, you know. I think I sent you a link to Duran Duran playing the Encore Theatre in Las Vegas. And it was really interesting. It's very apparent straight away how much more comfortable that place is. You know, the, the audience was... The, the orders weren't packed together as if they were in a traditional gig. They looked more like they were at a wedding reception or something like that. They yeah, were dancing yeah. freely at the front. And so bands like Duran Duran are doing residences at these, at these places. They, they're there this weekend because it's the Labor Day weekend in the United States. and It's the official end of the summer. But I see also they're returning for Halloween, Mark. You're going to like this. Because it says on the press release here that they've all, always loved Halloween because it's always been their favourite, and forgive me here, their favourite holiday. You know, the Americans refer to <laughs> Halloween as a holiday. In, in what? They, you, have you ever been in, in America during Halloween? They take no, but it very seriously. I know they do, but Mark, it is not a holiday, is it? No. Is it? People don't have the day off work. No, I don't have the day off. No, I think they just they just didn't. dress up. Okay, and so it's a, it's a big thing, as propagated by every American sitcom. Always have to have a Halloween episode, doesn't doesn't it? Yeah. And the rest of the world just sits there going, oh, "Have you finished with this?" Yeah. For crying out loud. Anyway, yeah. children uh, in small buckets made out of plastic buckets shaped like pumpkins. So, so here, here, this is a contrast to your Reading or Leeds experience. Okay, this, this is this is what they say in the in the terms and conditions for Duran Duran playing uh, the Encore Theatre in Halloween. Okay, costumes, which obviously you're going to you're going to wear a costume. Costumes must not encroach on the seat or obstruct the view of other attendees. Must not be made. <laughs> Must not be made to look like security or law enforcement. Include weapons, brackets, real or fake, of any kind. Contain crude words, images or attire. Or include detachable props or other elements. Any mask, cat, veil, face paint or other item that covers or obscures the wearer's face and possibly obscures their effective identification may only be worn inside the theatre after being screened and must be removed before exiting and cannot be worn outside the theatre and so on. In Do you still what want to way, go? In what, <laughs> in what way? In what way does that resemble a holiday? <laughs> the Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. And talking of movies, I was just looking at uh, I was just looking at the various films that are that are under construction at the moment. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al Yankovic. That's uh, a marriage maiden. It's uh, bizarre, isn't it? Maiden in an agent's office. That is extraordinary. Can that have? Does he mean anything outside the United States? I don't know. But anyway, uh, Scorsese, I think, is making a, a, a Grateful Dead biopic for Apple uh, TV Plus um, with Jonah Hill from The Wolf of Wall Street as, as Jerry Garcia. Billy Joel oh, really? biopic. That's, I a, that's an actual I think that's feature film. Is about, good grief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's happening, which is wow. a good idea. Really good idea. Um, I think Bill, there's a Billy Joel uh, biopic. 
called Piano Man uh, in the works. Eddie Murphy is meant to be playing George Clinton. Um, there's another reggae, there's another uh, Bob Marley movie. There's a Bee Gees movie being made. Uh, Sam Taylor Johnson is making a, a, an Amy Winehouse biopic. That's a good idea. Yeah. People are uh, auditioning for a Madonna film. I, it just uh, made me think, who have they not made a biopic about who they should do? Because I've got one see, uh, one good idea. Oh, go on. Well, I think Nick Cave, I think Grace Jones, Joni Mitchell, John Martin, Judy Sill, I think would be really interesting. Rihanna. But Judy I'm Sill, you, can, I, can I just point out one thing? Yeah. Judy Sill is a very good idea. Do you know why? Because people don't know who she is. No, they don't. Whereas... And would love her if they discovered her. No, but asking an actor to convince us that they're Joni Mitchell is an impossible ask. Because they're not. And we know who Joni Mitchell is. Whereas you could sell a Judy Sill biopic on the basis that you don't know who this person is. And you you could have an actor who looked like her uh, and you could make it work. Of course, problem is... Because she, because she was never successful, you don't know who she is. Therefore, you probably wouldn't go and see the film. But anyway, anybody playing Joni Mitchell or is on a hiding to nothing. They you know? are probably yes, but I mean, you can argue though that various people have convinced us in the past that they were the people they were playing. I mean, I thought the Elvis, I did the Elvis movie. I was kind of convinced to the end. You know, I thought that was going to be an impossible ask, but it seemed to work. Well, film. So I still think I think there are there's loads of uh, you know greenfield greenfield sites here uh, the atomic rooster story that's uh, <laughs> uh, there's uh, that's brother great. brother brother beyond um, yes atomic rooster uh, there's all kinds all kinds of groups you could do like that you know and who's to say that it won't happen eventually because nobody would have predicted ten years ago. That Martin Scorsese will be making a Grateful Dead film. I know, I know, which I'm, of course, very much looking for. I'll tell you my idea. My idea is Louis Armstrong, or indeed Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. As we now call him, don't we? Louis Armstrong. I think this is, I mean, in fact, I did look and somebody is supposedly, Tracy Morgan, who is in 30 Rock, supposedly oh, really? trying to get money to start making one. Well, Tracy not, Morgan as Louis Armstrong is yeah. a good idea. Yeah, really good Because he, he kind of looks, looks really, like really, him. really looks like him. Yeah, amazing. I, I mean, he did, in, about a year ago, there was the notion that he was trying to get the funding to do it and then it was COVID. Whether or not it's happening, I don't know. But I think this is a fantastic story for lots of reasons. One, you know, this is a, such a significant figure in the history oh. of uh, you know he's the first black musician really to kind of cross over oh. uh, on on that major scale plus his life let's remind ourselves of louis armstrong louis armstrong's life mother a prostitute am i right Absolutely. born in a brothel uh brought up partly by his grand very early on rescued age seven by a family of lithuanian jews who looked after him uh, sent to borstal for firing a pistol well, didn't he, did he go to, wasn't, wasn't he go to the, the school for coloured waifs? Yeah. I think they called it. That's coloured right. Coloured waifs in New Orleans. Yeah. Could, couldn't have been more, a more unpromising start. No, it, unbelievable. Then uh, all sorts of problems with booze and drugs, age 13. He married, uh, he became a pimp at the age of 15. And he married Dave, a prostitute, when he was 17. And then... This whole 
thing of coming into the, the major kind of white showbiz world, you know, and the incredible success he had. I mean, that's a, an incredible story. Could there be a worse start? Oh I'm going to put. I'm, I'm going to put this out there, as they say in the world of social media. Louis Armstrong, the most significant musician of the 20th century. There yeah, is simply, well, there is simply no competition. The oh, most and interesting pop fact, re Louis Armstrong, he invented the solo. He <laughs> invented quite... the solo. I mean, this is amazing, <laughs> wasn't it? Because, they, you know, you were billed to go on and you had the certain numbers you were going to play. And then they'd say, OK, you're doing a 45 minute set. We now want an hour and a quarter. And instead of doing new numbers, he had this idea that, 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 you know, instead of each musician gets their 24 bars of reading off the charts, they would improvise. Yeah. And he began improvising. And that, that became the absolute staple of, of, of rock music. And, you know, the, the, the entire careers of various people were born from that. Also, never, uh, even in his later days, um, when he was massively famous all over the world, uh, you know, films and Hello Dolly and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, God knows what. He never moved from his old neighbourhood. He still lived, I think it was in Queens, New York. He continued to live in Queens. Um, and you can see pictures of him in his later years. He died, well, I think he was in his late 60s when he died. Um, you know, he's still sitting out there on the stoop, to, surrounded by the neighbourhood kids. Because he, he he never removed himself, he, he still continued to live the life he'd always lived. Uh, he was mad keen, crazily keen on tape recording, and so he used to record just everything that happened to him domestically. And there are yards and miles and miles of tape of these domestic uh, vignettes. You can go visit his house, I think, nowadays. His old house. What of him just sitting in the kitchen talking to people, and talking to his wife, and talking yeah. to all kinds of people. Also, sorry, this is significant stuff, which the, you know, the biopic which we're uh, envisaging will undoubtedly make a lot of. He was very keen on laxatives. He was... Well, he was, he, he, I think he, was, he had an advertising arrangement with the laxative company, didn't he? He once? did. Yeah. He did, called Crisco, I think. Yeah. And he said... Uh, and uh, <laughs> There is actually a print ad of him looking over his shoulder, smiling. <laughs> The camera in a very distinctive Louis Armstrong way, where it says, Lewis says, leave it all behind you. Leave it all behind you, that's right. <laughs> oh, so good. God bless you. No, we were, t- we were talking and of course, about... I, I saw Louis Armstrong, I can't let this go, without saying, I actually, I am old enough to say, I saw Louis Armstrong at the Battley Variety Club in 1962. Yeah, I remember which of the two. When he did uh, did a two week residency at the Battley Variety Club, when it was the kind of the showbiz mecca, and it could get all these big names. It paid enough money to get these big yeah, names yeah. out of out of Vegas or out of retirement or And so I saw Louis Armstrong. He wasn't vintage Louis Armstrong, but it was Louis Armstrong, it was him. and he was about as far he was as far as away from me as you know. As that window over there, you know, which is uh, 
which is quite something. But yes, I think I think Tracy Morgan and the, and the Louis Armstrong That'd be biopic, good, it? a following win to that. I'm all in favour of I'm that. I'm in favour of that. And actually, when we were talking about, you know, un- unusual uh, kind of upbringings, we were talking to Mickey Berenyi of Lush on the, on the podcast we last were, week. Yes. Uh, amazing story, you know, with her mother. Just extraordinary. Her parents split up when she's very young. Mostly brought up by her racist Hungarian grandmother who gave her Coca-Cola and chocolate for supper. I mean, a really, really complicated life. Really well worth hearing, actually. I don't think that's up yet, actually. But it reminded me of another extraordinary upbringing, really, really difficult circumstances, which is Annifried Linkstad of uh, Linkstad of Abba. I mean, do you know, you know the story? Of, well, I mean, there's, a, there's a German soldier, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, her mum was a 19-year-old Norwegian. She's not Swedish. She's, she's Norwegian. Mum yeah, was a 19-year-old. And the yeah. Swedes and the Norwegians, that's, it's a very oh, yeah, 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 complicated, yeah. complicated yeah. relationship there. Absolutely. Particularly she, because uh, of the war. Yeah, no, her um, her mum was 19, fraternised with a German sergeant in the Wehrmacht, uh, if that's how you pronounce it. Um, Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht, sorry, in the Wehrmacht. And uh, they, obviously at the end of the war, they, they had to leave the country for fear of persecution. Um, she and her mum and her, her grandmum left for Sweden. She was told that her father had died in a, on a ship that had sunk just at the very end of the war. Um, her mum died when she was two of some kind of kidney failure. So she's brought up by her grandmother. She's, she's an orphan at the age of two. It's absolutely astonishing. And then in 1977, German Bravo magazine printed the story that based on, I think, on her half-brother or whatever, who revealed that her father was still alive. And she then met up with her father for the first time, age 32. That is a pretty incredible story, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I don't think any kind of major psychologist would be required to tell you that she's always needed a sense of kind of security. And uh, she is now, as you know, Princess Annifried Raus, uh, the Dowager Countess of Plauen. So wow. she's she married she's married extremely well. Not that she was, uh, you know, short of a few bottles. Yeah, got be short. I know, short I know. of a kroner or whatever. I know, I know. That's <laughs> an extraordinary. Story. Um, so um, yes, is that the, the circumstances of uh, her father still being alive? Is that the kind of thing that only comes out if you happen to be famous? Because what happens is journalists go digging after after the details yeah. of your early life. Because the other classic case of this is, of course, Jack Nicholson. Oh, it's amazing. So Jack yeah. Nicholson grows up in, in New Jersey, doesn't he? And, yeah. you know, and goes to Hollywood and, and Easy Rider and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and whatever. And I think wins the Oscar, possibly. And then I think Time or one of the big news magazines is doing a big profile of him. And uh, and they it do was time, all it was their, when he was promoting Chinatown. When they're doing all their digging, and the and the journalist has to go to him to just, you know, the convention is in the United States. You run all these things past the subject, and uh, and he's sitting there with a journalist who basically says, you know, did you know that the woman you think is your mother was actually your sister, um, and that he he was he was one of those. One of those classic cases of uh, of children was born, you know, out of wedlock, as the as the saying went in those days. Other way around, no, it's the, it's the woman he thought was his sister was his mother. But there you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that you know that uh, that that he was he was born to a 
seventeen year old uh, or something, and that who they were spirited away to give birth, and then the baby was presented as as, as his grandmother's. Wasn't yeah, it? that's something right. Like that. Which I is exactly what happened to Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton, same. Eric situation. Clapton. I think about. The, I think he was about eighteen. I think Jack Nicholson was about thirty-two when he discovered. But Jack, uh, but Eric Clapton, I think was about eighteen when he found out that his that, yeah that his his mum. His mum was actually not his grand. I mean, it's uh, just a, it must it must rattle you that kind yeah. of thing, wasn't it? So anyway, I don't know how we I don't know how we get from there to the subject of the twenty fifth anniversary of the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, but we do uh, because which it, happened it, just the other day, didn't it? We it's were twenty twenty five years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall I tell you how, about how I heard the news? I was flying. We were flying back with the family from a holiday in the United States of America. And we were flying overnight from, I can't remember what, New York probably. Um, and uh, we we were in steerage and our friends that we went with were in business class. And uh, so they, one of them couldn't sleep or whatever. And so she was talking to the, uh, the purser or whoever uh, who had had the news from the plane in front of them, who had had the news from the plane in front of them, from the plane in front of them. You know, that's how news yeah, yeah. communicates itself across the Atlantic in the middle of the night. That there had been a car crash and that, you know, they were said to be badly injured. And then, yeah. And so she then came back and told us. So I was sitting there in a darkened cabin with everybody asleep, you know, hundreds of people in there asleep. Me and and Alison going, good grief, that's extraordinary. And then when it came the morning, they did that thing on the plane where they try and wake everybody up in time for the landing, you know, to, to come around with the damp cloths or whatever. And so they lift the, uh, you know, they, they turn on the cabin lights and they encourage people to just lift the, um, the window, lift the window blind. And you get that very strange eerie light that you only get in a plane at that time. Yeah. And everybody is is just kind of waking and looking rather the worse for wear and a bit headachey and whatever, and looking a bit sorry for themselves. And then the, at this point, the captain. Who clearly, I've thought about this for the subsequent 25 years, just could not resist passing on this piece of news. Came over the intercom, the PA or whatever. I can sympathise with that. You'd and said, and said I, I have to tell you, and then recounted the story. And so there's a cabin full of people who just woken up. And so you're looking around everybody, and now we happen to have known for like two hours or something, but everybody else is just going, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, with these various stages of, of shock or surprise or, or kind of grief or whatever written over their faces. It was such a unique thing to see a piece of news being communicated to a load of people simultaneously. It's not something that you get to do. No, no. I can remember. I remember looking at. We heard very early in the morning. I remember looking out the window and seeing people walking past outside the house, and you could tell which ones knew and which ones didn't. Really? Know. Yeah, because the people who didn't yeah. know were having a normal conversation. They're yeah. on their way to school, and so have you done your maths? Well, no, it and wasn't Sunday. It was just, Sunday morning, wasn't it? Sunday morning. Sure. Maybe it was a Sunday morning, it but was, you could just yeah, tell Sunday from morning. the conversations. Yeah. You know, you could just tell. We took we took the kids to the the funeral, which is about. 
I don't know, three or four miles from here, you know, uh, and we just, we went in on bicycles. I thought they've got to see this. I genuinely yeah, thought no, at the sure. time this was going to be the beginning of the dissolution of the monarchy. I really did. I'd never forget it. I got the, 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 the smell of the rotting flowers, the yeah. acres of rotting flowers in cellophane outside Kensington Palace. It was amazing. We went there. We climbed up a tree and watched the cortege go by. It was absolutely extraordinary, actually. But I was thinking about it the other day because I've just watched. In fact, we're going to talk to somebody who was part of the XFM lineup next week for podcast. Our old pal Fraser Lurie. I've just watched the uh, the documentary "Kick Out the Jams: The Story of XFM," and that XFM, the independent, small independent uh, radio station that started in 1997, launched on the day Diana died. What must Gary have been on, Crowley the, must have been the, on the Monday? Oh, really? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Must have been no, on the Monday. Have launched, so she died Saturday the news night. Came out, the news came on the Sunday. It launched on the Monday morning. Right, there you and go. And they had a big debate about whether or not they should delay the launch. I think the general feeling was, hey, you know, indie rock is a totally alternative thing. The kind of people who like indie rock and they like, I don't know, Carter and they like, um, you know, Blur and they like Supergrass and Pulp. They're not going to be at all interested or affected by this. And how wrong they were. How wrong they, they were. had a, a a marketing budget of, I think, about a quarter of a million pounds to spend that week hammering home the launch of this. They said nobody took any notice at all. They, uh, it's a, it's a really... The whole country was just looking in a different no, direction. No, but it's, it's, it's an interesting interesting point because radio, more than all, me, all media is a question of habit. Radio yeah. is a question of habit even more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what do you know everybody was doing that week is they were watching on telly or they, you know, they, they were just trying to keep up with yeah, what trying was to happening. Yeah, trying to keep up the news. Uh, now, even... They I think turned their radio off. I think there was a piece in The Guardian the other day. I just saw the headline. I didn't read it, but it's... because. Um, uh, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. They were marking the fact that Radio 1, wasn't it, 
that week pretty much stopped their normal output and just played instrumental music, didn't they? They did. And, and so the likes of kind of... And because it was Radio 1, they didn't play kind of Mantovani or whatever. It was, you know, so the likes of William Orbit and people yeah. like that did really well at they this. Did. And, and there was a really popular format in that, in music that sounded contemporary but wasn't encumbered by vocals, you know, the, 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 encouraging you to be happy or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, so, yeah, it was a, it was a unique uh, a unique week, wasn't it? Of course, then, yeah, the following Saturday, it was the following Saturday was the funeral, and uh, which we only watched on the television. But I can, remember, I can remember seeing this cortege going up the Finchley Road, which is not that far from us, uh, with people flinging flowers, you know. Oh, it's incredible. I can remember, the, kind of, kind I remember of, the car having to put the, the windscreen wipers on to clear yeah, the flowers yeah, 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 so yeah, that the driver could see. And I can remember my father ringing up, he was watching on the telly. Oh, God, yes! Saying, I'm enjoying it very much. But, but then an awful fat man came on and played the piano and spoilt it for everyone. <laughs> That's Elton John. <laughs> Have some respect. God bless you, Ronnie. The Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. So the passing of drummy Zeb, uh, the great drummer from, uh, from Aswad, uh, has just been announced. Uh, wonderful drummer. Extraordinary drummer. Brilliant are you, singer. Are you, uh, yes. Are you familiar with the Aswad album Live and Direct? I have it. I've just gone through the roof and found I've dug up quite a few actually. I have a copy. It's a I'll great just record. Hold it up. Let people see it. Those who are fortunate yeah. enough, uh, Patreon supporters who are fortunate enough to be watching this, Aswad Live and Direct. Re- uh, recorded at Notting Hill, Notting Hill, Hill Carnival, Carnival, I think, in Yeah, yeah. It's such a great record. It's such a great record. And it's a, as a consequence of that, of the way that they played. Not long after that, I was I was called upon to introduce them in a in a kind of whistle test special, which was um, which was to be filmed in, I think, the venue that what there used to be the Nottingham Boat Club, where Led Zeppelin famously played back in nineteen seventy one. I think it's part of the student union, isn't it? Something like that. It's connected with Nottingham University. And, uh, I can still remember how you introduced them. Well, as I'm going to do this, because that, that is how the way these things used to be done is they used to have the band, the band would start and they'd play so that they could get the levels right, the, the TV levels and the camera angles and whatever. And then the presenter would have to come on and pre- pretend it was starting, basically, and you know, have your introduction. And then, if you were lucky, it just you know, they went straight into the first number, and it carried on from there, from there. And I, I really liked Aswad, and I'd been playing live and direct a lot. And uh, uh, so, at the appointed time, they did their number, and then the floor manager, whatever, indie, waved me on, and you know, so there I am. I got Aswad behind me on stage, and I got loads of students in front of me, entirely white, if I remember correctly. Yeah, probably. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, harder than this, they do not come as word. That's all I said, which I thought was quite a good it's line. It's a really I'm good I'm sorry, it's quite a good line, because most introductions to bands on stage are crap. 
Crap, they're too long. I'll, they're too I'll long. die in a ditch over this. They are absolutely too long. That people have never thought about them at all. Yeah, yeah, they're wasted opportunities. So I did this. Harder than this, they do not come as wide. Raw. They go into the first number, and of course, telly isn't ready. Telly is never ready. Yeah. Oh, sorry, somebody went for a slash or whatever. Or the, uh, the, hair the in the gate. In the tro- hair in the gate or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So the, the floor manager had to go in front of Aswad and wave his arms and they had to stop. And then there was a five-minute hiatus. Then I had to go back on and introduce them. Now, intensely subconscious because you want to say the Absolutely. same thing and the audience have already heard it. And I, th- I, can't, I think I did say the same thing. I think I had to do it three times. I had the same thing with the undertones. I don't know, some technical fault. I had to use the undertones. And I did the same. I, I, I stuck to what I'd originally got to say because I, I just I, I'd thought about it. I thought it worked. You know, and you feel such a fool. You feel you? such a Everyone's looking at you like you're a total fraud. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Anyway, talking of on-stage introductions, can I just briefly recommend to people, if, if they've got um, access to uh, to kind of streaming service and so forth, and I'm sure pretty much everybody has nowadays, you don't have to buy, you no longer have to buy a copy of Tim Buckley live at the Festival Hall, is it the Festival Hall or Queen Elizabeth Hall, I can't remember, in late 60s. Anyway. Oh, God, this is... Uh, to go yeah. and is listen... Pete Drummond? No. Pete Drummond. Yeah! To go and listen... <laughs> To the introduction to Tim Buckley, whatever that album is live at the Festival Hall. Yeah. Please go and listen to it this morning. Just go and listen to it because <laughs> it starts with it's total silence apart from audience noise. Then in the footsteps. And then you hear foot, Pete's footsteps, his Cuban heels or whatever, making their way, his desert boots, making their way across the cables. <laughs> Towards the microphone, getting closer. And he, he goes, a beat drummer, dear sweet man, but, you know. He, he hasn't he, thought about it much. not snappy, not snappy at all. He goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I was, I, was just, uh, I was just taking my seat. And then somebody said, hey, uh, would, you, would, you, would you introduce Tim? So, so, yeah, here I am. And so it's just amazing. It's amazing to see him here. So I'm going to bring him out now. I'm going to bring him out now. It's Tim. It's Tim Buckley. Tim Buckley. And you thought, what a wasted opportunity. Utter, total waste of time. <laughs> and Tim Buckley kind of not ready. Crowd yeah, yeah, not yeah. ready. You know, it's not it's not teed up at all. Because I think it's Neil Tennant yes, years ago pointed out the best part of a music show is what? It's the beginning. It's the start. It's, it's the, start. the start. And the audience wants to be teed up. The the audience wants yeah, to go, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm here. Yes, they're here. You know, they want to they, they want to relive that moment in their heads, don't yeah. they? When they go home. And if you if you just kind of mutter away, you rather lose it. One of the know? best intros I ever, I ever saw, which was so sweet and so unassuming, was uh, 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 an old palaman called Peter Blegvat. You know, he's in Slap Happy and, uh, and all that. Um, and he was uh, uh, supporting Loudon Wainwright at the um, at the Union Chapel. And he was, yeah, he's a sport actor. And so he comes on stage. And he's very, you know, barely known by most of, to be fair, by most of Loudon Wainwright's uh, uh, crowd, as he's well aware. And he comes out on stage and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce the support act, Peter Blackbird. And he walks off. And then he comes back on with a guitar and starts playing. <laughs> 
I thought that was so funny. That's a good thing. It's really, really good. It's really good. But it's a good thing. Don't be afraid, you know. No, absolutely. Because the audience, no matter who they are, they want to feel they're at an event. They want to feel that something happens that is in some way memorable. You know, yeah. they don't want to. They don't want to think. The audience never wants to think. Oh, let's have no fuss. No, they've gone for the fuss. Yeah, the fuss is a huge part of it. You know, make people feel that they've come to something special. It's a huge part of their, uh, you know, their kind of value for money transaction. Yeah. Um, the intro on Five Live Yardbirds was really good. Oh, go on, what's that? No, can you remember that one? No, I don't know if I can actually repeat it off the top. No, of it. It's no, all about, I can't. Uh, welcome to the most uh, most uh, yarmorizing. I can't remember. He just makes up a load of words. About oh, the really? Yeah, who yeah, did, who introduces the, them on Five Yard Jones? It's, it's not that guy Hamish Grimes, is it? Hamish Grimes was, and uh, sorry, we're, we're just, we're, going, we're off on tangents. Listen, it's tangent upon tangent. This it is. Podcast. Get used to it, you know. Um, with with the, the Hamish Grimes, I think I've got his surname correct. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was the original big Yardbird super fan and was also the person who designed the Yardbird's logo. Which we were talking about this some months we ago. We did, we did it on the pod, yeah. <laughs> some people, I, it's arguable, was the first proper band logo. Yeah. It was the first band logo that was used repeatedly on their albums. Not all the UK albums, but certainly a lot of the American ones, and was used on Five Live Yardbirds. Because the had, Beatles didn't have one of those. They things. didn't. Well, they, they certainly they just changed it, didn't they? I mean, well, the Beatles had bonuses. only the nearest thing to the to a logo the Beatles had was the, the drum. was that the thing on the drums, yeah, which yeah. was just painted by a guy from Ludwig, wasn't it? When yeah. when uh, Ringo picked up his uh, his free kit in 1964 yeah, right. or yeah. whatever, whatever it was. So we shall no doubt come armed with even more facts of a Beatles nature next week because we're we're going to a run through on Tuesday, aren't we? Of of uh, Mark Lewis, Mark Lewis's upcoming nineteen sixty two. It's not a tour. He's just he's, it's just he's a doing few these dates. shows at the uh, at the Blue. But I'm, a, I'm you and I are both big fans of the idea of formatting and oh, yeah. uh, and uh, you know as in your your wonderful book uh, Uncommon People, you know forty different pop stars. Of 40 different years and his format which is a brilliant format he's talking about the year 1962 and the beatles he's giving us 62 facts yeah about the beatles each one two minutes long in two halves of a show that, that each half is 62 minutes long that's really good isn't it so you know that every two minutes you're going to get a different story no it's good you're going to get 62 of them you know precisely what you're going to get and you will love it We'll we'll share one of them with you next we week. Will. We've been. We will. No, no more, Mark. It's all right. It's <laughs> the Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink, and it's like being in the pub. It's another. They say it's your birthday special, and it's with an old pal of ours, a great supporter, valued supporter of the uh, Word community, and a regular attendee at our Friday night quizzes. It's the wonderful Geltex or Ian Haddingham. Geltex, lovely to see you. How are you? All right, and happy hey birthday is it today. Uh, it was just over a week ago. Right, right. Did, did, did you, how do you celebrate? We uh, we went out for an excellent curry and oh, some right. beer that evening. Some uh, beer, good. Some beer, and uh, on Tuesday we went to the Royal Albert Hall to see the public service broadcasting at the proms. Oh right, oh right. 
nice. Which, of nice. course, was excellent. Uh, it was a pop concert or, music, you know, modern music concert, but it had a set start time and a set finish time. They, listen, this is the great thing about the proms. We love it. And listen, anybody who's never been to the proms, go to the proms. The proms are a fantastic thing. You, you know exactly get what you're going to hear. No, but you get all kinds of things. I've been to all kinds of proms, really odd things and really mainstream things. And it's just fantastic. You can see, you can hear, and you know when it's going to start. And you're home and in you bed by know two. when it's going <laughs> to No, but I've, been, I've gone to late night proms, at, which haven't finished early, but at least they told you when it was going to finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it's a civilised way to treat people, and I think it should be encouraged and it should be supported. So you've got a stack waddy game for us, Ian. Is that I right? Have... Go, Go on, on, far away. Yes. I don't know if it's been done, but... Prince's pseudonyms. Oh, oh, that's good. So good. Have, we, have we got one that isn't real? Is that is we that have one that isn't real? Uh, okay, run us through the. Oh, list. I like this. Go on. Go on. So you've got Madhouse. Madhouse. Yeah. Yep. Christopher Tracy. Yes. Tracy. Tora. 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 Right. Alexander Nevermind. All right. Love symbol. Love symbol. Yeah, and Torah, Torah. God, so you've so got Torah got Tora, and Torah, Torah, and Torah, Torah. Yes. Well, I know Christopher Tracy is real. Um, I know Alexander Nevermind is real. Is that right? Am I am I right? I I suspect that it's love symbol because that's too obvious. Because it's he was the symbol and he was the love sexy etc etc. I I don't know. All right, I'll go in with Mark. Love symbol. We're love saying love the symbol. one I reckon is the ringer. It, the the uh, the ringer is Torah. All right, because oh, okay. he good. was also Torah Torah. All right. Oh, that's great. On Torah, not enough. Uh, no, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's very good. Good for you. I like it. Very. So very good. it's traditional on these you occasions win. when people are celebrating their birthdays that they they throw a log on the fire of the word podcast discourse or the ask a question or whatever. What have you got, Ian? What have you well, got? The one, the, the one that I thought of, because you, both you gentlemen obviously were in the editing uh, offices of major music publications. A friend of mine used to be a DJ on BFBS radio, and he was out in Germany. And in the mid 80s, the, Ar the Arista rep tried very hard to get his latest signing in the studio for an interview. For two weeks they tried and, and my friend turned them down. And it turned out to be uh, Whitney Houston's first... Uh... <laughs> and they couldn't, they couldn't and, and, get and they her couldn't... on the British Forces Broadcasting <laughs> System. So the question is, has... has Have uh... we ever turned down anybody who turned... Oh, innumerable yeah. times. <laughs> I I, the, the classic case, we, they always used to talk about this at Smash Hits. Is the Spice the, Girls coming but in? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You spoiled my story. Oh, okay. they, 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 You know, they used to get... This was after Mark and I ceased being daily involved. Barry McElhenney, I think, was the editor at this point. And they used to get, you know, up-and-coming pop groups that would be taken by their PR to just do a bit of an a cappella performance at the Smash It's office. And they had a few of these. And then afterwards they said, no, that's enough. <laughs> these 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 girls turned up reception. No, sorry, no time. It's press day. The Spice Girls. They went to another. Uh, the, uh, the went to Loaded. 
Was it Lady? They, I think they, they went before, to but various ones. They went to, they went to Top of the Pops magazine. They top went to of the Top Pops. of the Pops magazine because I think I'm right in saying that the name Peter Lorraine, who was the editor of Top, though, is Peter Lorraine. Yeah, he's the guy who cooked up the. the, he, the he's the, the, the guy the who came up with the names. He's the guy who came up with Sporty Spice, uh, you know, Sporty yeah. Baby, and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, he obviously had more time on his hands to, to spend with people. But, yeah, I would have thought the Arista rep would have had no difficulty with Whitney Houston just on the basic grounds of, look, you've got to see this woman. <laughs> you know, would you like to be in the studio with this woman rather than who you could normally be interviewing at this time? You normally have no trouble with former supermodels, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous Well, maybe people. as I would have explained her heritage, it may have worked. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I it's probably not a lot of point with the heritage. You know. Were we talking about Kate Bush the other day being on hospital radio? I think we were, weren't we? Wasn't she no, on? A- she was on. No, I tell you what, she was on. She was on United Biscuits. It was United Biscuits. Sorry, it was United Biscuits. That's right. Because the UBN network, as it was called, was the radio station that used to broadcast the United Biscuits factories. And loads of people who went on to be big names, I think Mike Reed or whatever, went on to be big DJs, used to get their start at the United Biscuits, where they would be broadcasting to people, you know, knocking out custard creams. Um, And so it was a legitimate place to take your newly signed pop star to to give him a bit of experience of being interviewed on the radio. Yeah, it was without her, any, first, without it was any her first interview. I think. It was Malcolm Hill, took her. Yeah, Malcolm Hill. But the, that's where we got it from, Malcolm Hill. That's right. But the brilliant thing was she did it. You know, and Absolutely. That, that, and, and that they, they kind of thought it was a good idea. Why not? Because you would hate to be, again, you would hate to be the, the station that turned down Kate Bush. <laughs> In the early days, you yeah, know, but I suppose like Decker it, and the Beatles. it's happened to everybody, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. funny. I mean, it's a bit of a tangent from British forces broadcasting, but it's slightly. You must have read Mark Lewison's first Beatles book, the you know the whatever it's called, you know, the, the first of his trilogy, and and he writes tune about uh, tune in. And he writes about a great length about the difficulty of getting the Beatles' first single, Love Me Do, played on the radio. It was really hard to get it played because they didn't play many records on the radio in those days. And they had to be a certain kind of thing. And the big breakthrough was getting it played on three-way family favourites on Sunday lunchtime, which for those fortunate enough to be young enough who don't remember, you know, used to be when... You know, a lot, a lot of British soldiers in the 50s and 60s were still stationed overseas in Cyprus or Germany or whatever. And on Sunday lunchtime, they would be reunited with their relatives back in the UK who would, uh, who would ask for records to be played for them, uh, you know. And they, they were, uh, and they couldn't say where they were stationed. They always said they were at BFPO. Do you remember that? British Forces Post Office. Post, you know, that's right. Well, yeah. I was at BFPO 43. Were you really? Were, yeah. were, were you an army brat? Oh, heavens no. Go I, on. I, I had a brain. I was in the Air Force. Oh, right. You were in the Air Force or your <laughs> yes. parents were in the Air Force? I was in the Air Force. Oh, right. Okay. So you were stationed where? Where was that? Uh, Larbrook in Germany. Oh, right. Okay. So you used to listen to uh, Through Our Family Favourites. I, I think it had died out by then, but oh, right. it, was, it, it was mandatory listening when I stayed at my grandparents. But they there you had go. It on all the time. There you go. What kind of what great. year are we talking about here, roughly? 
It was all through the 70s that I remember. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they was one of the few places you could get a pop record played on the radio uh, where it would be listened to by huge numbers of people. And so getting Love Me Do played once on Three Way Family Favourites was a major turning part, point. a major turning point in its success. Well, look, Ian, very nice to talk to you. Um, and, always uh, a pleasure, gentlemen. Always a pleasure, never anybody a Anybody watching this who hasn't attended the Friday Night Quiz, because Geltex is there and uh, a cornerstone of this setup. Uh, Absolutely. It's thoroughly recommended. It's very good fun. It, it is. is. And can I just glittering say, prizes occasionally. Can I just say thanks, gentlemen, for what you've done throughout the pestilence doing these broadcasts. It has been an absolute lifesaver. You are, you should be honoured. <laughs> well, we, we're well, honoured. We're honoured by your presence, Ian. That's well, all. Thank you very much, that's gentlemen. All, that's all we need. You're listening to the Word Podcast, where the time is, whenever you want it to be. So, any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. Are you all right, Alex? I'm all right. How are you guys? Oh, fine. Oh, well, Alex, very cheap uh, I want you to do something, Alex, afterwards, and I want everybody listening or yep. watching this to do the same thing. Uh, because I, I got I got a tweet from uh, from Mark Watkins, and he said he couldn't decide whether this was April, an April Fool or real, that there is a label called Sacred Bones in Brooklyn in the United States. Right. And Sacred Bones is 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 you know, in the kind of groovy reissue business, as you can imagine. You know, the, there's labels, there is a label called Light in the Attic, isn't there? Have you noticed those kind of things? You know, we could all, our label can be dustier than yours. You know, we can find more obscure things to reissue <laughs> than you can, you know. Because uh, Sacred Bones claim to have made available the, uh, hold, hold on to your hat when I tell you this. The first two Towns Van Zant records on eight track. <laughs> this is so consistent. On eight track. It's so consistent at the beginning of this podcast wow. where we're talking about hot news stories relating <laughs> to a movie that came out in 1969. So now we're talking about eight track. It's back. See, what I can't understand about this, Dave, is, well, two things. One, was eight track really that fantastic? In terms no, of its no. sonic fidelity, no. I don't remember. We had a mate of mine at college had had one in her car, and we used a great big box-like thing at the front. Yeah. We only had two eight tracks. One of which because was you only had waiting for two. the sun by right. the doors, which we heard a million times. I don't remember. A, I don't remember it sounding very good. B, I remember it tangling and getting caught up and being cumbersome and useless. And the other thing is, if you bought the Towns Van Zant eight track. What do you play it on? Are you? I mean, is somebody manufacturing new eight no. machines? No, no. You've got to. You've got to go and find some some really the old well-trod eight track player. You've got to go and buy one, one, haven't you? An old <laughs> one. To play it on. It's absurd. It is. But you know, it's it's the fact that whether it's real or it's a very tongue-in-cheek, you know, pastiche, it's kind of interesting that anybody bothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. That anybody would even bother to make the joke is kind of funny, isn't it? And that, you know, somebody like Towns Van Zandt, who lived and died in almost total obscurity, is is now sort of a hipster name, isn't he? You know, yeah, yeah. amongst a lot of people who weren't even born when he was around. So it's me, you suggest that the whole project is cool. The whole thing is cool because it's Towns Van Zandt. So yeah. that's fine. So what I want to know is why can't the same thing, why don't we have the same kind of um, celebration of the fact that it was 50 years ago this week, 
since the release of Close to the Edge by Yes, which was... And I thought I would celebrate this uh, this um, <clears throat> extraordinary event by listening to it on the, on the train yesterday morning. So I downloaded uh, Close to the Edge in very high quality, very high quality audio, and I listened to it on the train going on the kind of overground going over to northwest London where I was doing a recording. And I thought, and you're sitting there with your little headphones, Amongst and on that, on that train, uh, which is, tends to be uh, mainly patronised by young people, and you think, I hope to God nobody it, knows. Can you what imagine I'm if they had to. any idea what I was listening to? <laughs> I'd be drummed. I'd be taken to the to the city limits and thrown out of town. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a quite an extraordinary thing. I mean, when you think this was a kind of number one album, you know, yeah, yeah. it came out in nineteen seventy. Massively indulgent. Well, yes, but you, the, you you sort of have to take your hat off to them, you know. That they 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 did something that was so kind of against the uh, against the prevailing prevailing wind, you know. It's one of those pieces of music. It's only three tracks, and and it's one of those pieces of music could never have exist, existed in any shape or form without the LP record. It only exists yeah. for the LP record. It's a way. Why are you making this music? Well, because that will go on the first side, and those two will go on the second side. And that's it, you know. You wouldn't invent it to play. You wouldn't invent it to put out on a single or anything. You just put it on an LP. But you uh, would probably have thought, we, we can't play more than nine minutes on this because it won't fit on the record. So that's going to be the limiter. I'm sure that was, it was probably that specific. Well, it's, a, it's always the way, isn't it? That they, you, you, know, you can have, never have the, no, the noisier stuff towards the end of the LP because the groups yeah, yeah. get Yeah, metal by it. Pink Floyd. There was only a certain amount of time that could last before it wasn't going to fit on a record. So yeah. yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure that's true. So anyway, you know... Go on, I've Alex. Got this vision in my head, Dave, of you being approached on a train by a Ute. Um, <laughs> Oi, bruv, is is that yes you're listening to? Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, safe. <laughs> yeah, word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so, what else is happening? Uh, what have we done in the last week? We, as we said earlier, we talked. We got to, Martin Ware. We got. We talked to Martin Ware. We talked to Martin. Really good. Martin Weirhaus of the Human League and Heaven 17 and production fame and so forth. He's written a book called Electronically Yours, Volume, Volume 1. Volume 1. <laughs> Slightly uh, tongue-in-cheek. But he was very good, and, and I'm very pleased to say that we've done, we done hundreds of these interviews over the last couple of years. And we're always the thing we're always trying to get people to tell us, and you can never ask them too directly, is how much money do you get paid for this? And oh. And in this case, we asked him, and he told Actually, us. Actually, you know, he so, didn't even ask him. He just suddenly volunteered. We're not going to say what it was. But no, we're not going to say what it was. You, you've got to watch the clip when he, you know, when he came appearing on YouTube in, in the next few days, I think. Uh, so that's Martin Ware. Life-changing amount of cash Absolutely, particularly in the, in the mid-80s. 80s. In the 80s. And, uh, and then we're talking to our old mate, Fraser Lurie, uh, in, in the next few days who is now living in New Zealand. Um, but we're going to talk, about, talk to him about all kinds of things, including his time at XFM, uh, because the XFM film is out now. What else is going on? Anything else we should mention? Or is that it? That's it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.